Hello, and thank you for tuning in to New Glasgow Christian Church. My name is Stephen Weatherby, and I'm the pastor here at NGCC, a small rural church with a big heart located in central Prince Edward Island, Canada. We're so glad that you could join us. All right, good morning, everyone. Excited to be back today after a week away. I spent last weekend camping beside Oak Bay in southern New Brunswick. Had this beautiful view of the bay and this island off in the distance. Just sat and relaxed, so it was a it was a great time, but I'm glad to be home. It's always good to come home after a trip. Today we're coming to the last section of First Thessalonians. Uh, this week and next week we'll wrap up First Thessalonians. Now, whenever the Apostle Paul wrote a letter, he would often end with exhortations and greetings. It's kind of the opposite of how we write letters. We start with greetings, and they always ended with them. So that's where we're coming to here. Uh, there's going to be this big list of final instructions uh, and, and guidance that we're going to be looking at today. Uh, things to do, things to change, and guidance for their lives uh, as the Thessalonians strive to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Now, we've been spending these last few months learning what it means for us to be Christians and to have faith in times of uncertainty. And there's definitely a lot to consider, especially as we've been these past few weeks talking about the resurrection and second coming of Jesus. But sometimes people become fixated on finding out the specifics of God's will and the specifics of his plan and timetable especially when it comes to the topic of Jesus' second coming. And usually when you hear people talking about that, they're trying to predict things. Uh, now, while we may not know exactly when Jesus is coming back, even though the world is in turmoil around us, we can still know God's will for us from his word, whether he comes back tomorrow, in 10 years, in 50 years, or not in our lifetime at all. We can still know God's will for us, whatever is going on, and this passage today is a perfect example of this. We may not know the day or time of Jesus' return, but we can always know his will for us, which is to live godly lives of faithful obedience. And we can trust that God will be faithful to the end as we offer our lives loyally to him. That is what we can focus on, work on, and shape our faith around in times of uncertainty. So we're going to read our passage this morning, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 to 22. It's a little old school this week. I don't have them on the screen. So you'll have to use your Bibles in the seats in front of you. So it's going to be 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 to 22. And I'll wait a couple minutes longer because it takes longer to flip in a book than it does to look up on the screen. And what we're going to do, we're going to stand as we read this in recognition of what this book is, the inspired Word of God, and the power that it has to change and shape our lives. So I'll ask you to stand with me. First Thessalonians 5, 12-22. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. 
Make sure that no one pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. You may be seated. So as we come into this conclusion of 1 Thessalonians, Paul reminds us of a number of responsibilities and duties that we share together as believers. Because sometimes we get distracted by what's going on around us in the world, and we need a reminder of our responsibilities and duties as Christians. In this passage today, I see four main areas in which Paul identifies duties that we have as the church. So I think there's four areas here. The first one is our duty to those who serve. And this is in any capacity because there's so many ways that people serve in the church. So read these first few verses again. He says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Now, of course, there's so many people who serve in so many ways and capacities. And in fact, we are all gifted by the Holy Spirit to serve in one capacity or another. We all have spiritual gifts. Now, with that said, Paul's talking about some specific roles here in this passage. First of all are those who work hard among you, and that includes a number of roles, including things like deacons, trustees in our church here, volunteers, elders, teachers, preachers, people who work in children's ministry, our worship leaders, and on and on and on. So many people who serve and offer their talents and time. Sometimes it's visible, sometimes it's not visible. There's a lot of silent work that happens in churches. So many tireless hours that people put in to keep things moving. I know that even in just our small little country church here, our board meetings can become quite long because there's so much work that is being done and so many doing the work that there's so much to talk about. So the first thing to take from this passage is that we have a duty to recognize those who do this work and the work that they do. Paul says to hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Now that doesn't mean that we always agree with decisions that people make because we all have opinions and that's okay. But we should still recognize the hard work that people do and hold them in high regard. Now why do we do this? Paul says to live at peace with each other. Now at the best times, peace is important. But especially as the church in times of uncertainty, peace in the body is so important because peace brings unity. Now, unity is not uniformity, and it doesn't mean we always agree, but it does mean that even when we disagree, we are still one body of believers. And that is why it's so important to live at peace with each other. And it's so important for us to have respect for each other because Jesus said the world would know that we are Christians. And they would know Jesus by our love for each other. So our first duty here that Paul speaks of is our duty to those who serve. 
Our second duty as Christians is to those in need. Paul says, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure no one pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. So I just said those in need because that is a very broad title. There's many needs that people have, many issues, many people who need walking alongside of. The first group here is those who are unruly, idle, or disruptive. That Greek word is ataktos, which kind of sounds like attack. And it's a, a military word that means disorderly, out of ranks. It was used to talk about a soldier that's out of line. And in this context, in the context of everything else we've studied in this letter, the unruly one is one who is not choosing or striving to abide by the teachings of Jesus and the apostles. Now, Paul says that in this situation, we have a duty to warn those people. Paul warned Christians on many occasions, and in 2 Timothy 4, he encouraged Timothy, his protege, to do the same. So what should we do when someone refuses to listen to those warnings? Well, I'm not going to give you spoilers, because that's going to be next month when we study 2 Thessalonians. So you'll have to wait to see what we do with people who do not heed warnings. But that is the first group of people in need that we have a duty to. The second is those who are faint-hearted. It says we comfort the faint-hearted. And that, group, that word there, the Greek word, literally means those who are small-souled or little-souled. And it's talking about people who lose heart, who drop away or, or kind of fade off into the distance. Now, to those people, we have a duty to comfort them, to go after them, and to encourage them. So that's the second group in need. The third group is what's called the weak in this passage. And that could mean a lot of things. Uh, but most likely, it's talking about the weak in faith. Those who are most likely to violate their conscience or to, to be tempted to sin. Now, we all are tempted to sin, but those who are especially susceptible... It says that we have a duty to uphold them and to walk alongside them. Now, the details of how we do this, uh, if you really want to, to study and read and learn more about that, read Romans 14 and 15. There's a lot in there. But in a nutshell, our duty is to bear with them and give them time to grow for their consciences to become strong. It's not about expecting them to be perfect the moment they come out of the baptistry. It's about walking alongside them and bearing with them and giving them time for the Holy Spirit to work in their lives. Romans 15.2, our duty is for each of us to please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. Then we have the general reminder for everyone at the end of this passage, which is that we have a duty to be patient with everyone. Not try to get revenge or payback and to always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. So all of that summarizes our duty to those in need, and the third duty that we have as Christians is to ourselves. Paul says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And this duty is extra important because 
If we neglect this, then our faith will weaken over time. Especially in times of uncertainty, when the world is in turmoil around us, it is all the more important for us to be investing in our own faith. So our first duty to ourselves is to rejoice always in all circumstances, even when things are not okay, when everything is terrible and there's nothing to rejoice in. Now to get to that point, we need to spend a lot of time doing things like studying our Bibles, spending time with each other in fellowship, and spending time together in worship. The second duty to ourselves is to pray without ceasing, because prayer enriches and develops faith. Now most of us, uh, well, we have prayer during set times in the service, we pray before bed, we pray before meals, uh, but our calling in Scripture is to pray without ceasing, to always be in prayer. The third duty to ourselves is to give thanks in everything, in all circumstances. To not just rejoice, but to thank God for the circumstances we find ourselves in, even when our circumstances are terrible. And that's completely counter to the way that we think. We're good at thanking God when things are good, and we're good at asking God for help when things are bad. But it's not naturally logical to thank God for a bad situation. <laughs> so there's these three things that comprise our duty to ourselves. And if we neglect to take care of our own faith and to nurture our own faith, our spiritual maturity and our faith will pay the price for it. Because God's will is for us to be a thankful people, a joyful people, and a prayerful people. And our fourth and final duty as Christians is to the truth. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19-22 says, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. So first of all, why is truth so important? Well, we know from the teaching of Jesus that truth provides freedom from the bondage of sin. John 8.32 says, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We also know that it is the means by which God makes us into new creations. John 17.17 17 says, Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. It's provided to us through the Holy Spirit. And we kind of talked about that back during our Seven Churches of Revelation series in January and February. In the past, God revealed himself and his truth to us through prophets. But in these last days, he has revealed himself to us through his Son and through the Holy Spirit. And as Jesus is the Word of God, we know that God's Word, the written Word, the Scriptures, are fully trustworthy, useful for teaching, correcting, and rebuking, and are the cornerstone of God's truth and revelation to us. So we cannot suppress it, and we cannot take away from it. Through neglect or outright rejection of God's word, we can be guilty of stifling the truth. And we can suffer the consequences of not having the full benefits of truth in our lives. Because God's truth is life. To avoid being misled by false prophets or false interpretations of God's word, we need to make sure that we are, first of all, examining all things by the truth. 
It's the ultimate test. Paul tells us in this passage to test all things. Test any claims of truth against God's word. We can't just believe blindly. We have to test everything. But the second piece of our duty to the truth, and this is almost more important, is that we must also apply the truth. And that means that we have to recognize the truth as truth. And, that, and truth is not subjective. We have to accept God's truth. And we have to apply it to our lives by abstaining from what is evil and walking in the light. So our duty to the truth is to not suppress it, to examine all things by it, and to apply the truth to our lives. All right, I know that was a lot of information. Um, You can blame Paul. He's the one that packed all of this into the last verses of his letter. Um, And I know that everyone, including myself, is thinking of strawberries at this point. (laughs) So to conclude this morning, we do have a duty as Christians. We've been talking about what it means to have faith in uncertain times for a few months now. So what do we do? How do we act? And what will the future hold? While we do not get to have all the answers as to what the future will bring, we are given all the tools that we need to fulfill our duty as followers of Jesus in times of uncertainty. We know that we have a duty to those who serve, whether as an elder, a pastor, a deacon, a trustee, a worship leader, um, Ken back there who put in hours and hours redoing all of this stuff on the stage and the sound system, all the people who are up on stage or all the people who are silently working in the background that you may never see. We have a duty to support and encourage these people who serve. We know that we have a duty to those in need, whether it is someone who needs to be warned, encouraged, supported, upheld, or walked alongside. We have a duty to do so, to walk alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ. We know that we have a duty to ourselves, We need to invest in our faith by spending time in God's word, rejoicing together, and praying continually. By investing in ourselves and in our own faith, we invest in each other and in the strength and health of the entire body. Finally, we know that we have a duty to the truth that we have professed our faith in. We can neither suppress it or ignore it. We have a duty as followers of Jesus to accept the truth and to apply the truth to our lives. We may not know the day or the time of Jesus' return, but we can always know that God's will for us is to live godly lives of faithful obedience. And we can trust that God will be faithful to the end as we offer our lives loyally to him. That is what we can focus on, work on, and shape our faith around in times of uncertainty. So as we leave here today, my prayer for all of us is that we will recognize the duty that we have as followers of Jesus, that we will pick up our crosses, and that we will follow him in service together. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we thank you first and foremost for the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross that pays for our salvation. We thank you that we do not have to earn our way, but that it's been paid for us that our sins are forgiven. But God, we also recognize that we have a duty as followers of you to be representatives of you and to be your light in the world.
We just ask that as we strive to fulfill this duty and this calling that you've put on our lives, that you would be with us and that you would walk alongside us, that you would guide our path and direct our feet. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that this week's teaching was a blessing and an encouragement to you. If you live in the New Glasgow area, we would love for you to come and join us for our Sunday gathering. For information on service times, location, and more, check out our website at ngcc.ca. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening and have a great week.